and welcome to another Monday Morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within his pages. And now, on to the class. Hello, and welcome to another exciting uh, Monday Morning Institute class. I'm your host, Kevin Hinckley. For those who may not know, uh, this is recorded in uh, near Dallas, Texas, uh, where, and where I am also a uh, clinical therapist, and we have our Monday Morning Institute class that meets every week. Today's class is going to be one more intermediate class before we begin uh, next week, uh, finishing up uh, probably the last few weeks of the Book of Mormon. We're trying to finish up because uh, in January of 2024 here, the church has begun, uh, come follow me, studying the Book of Mormon, and I didn't want to overlap too much with what's going on there. The church does a good job, uh, and there are many good sources for come follow me. Uh, and ours has always been a study of uh, other sources of Scripture uh, not being studied by Come Follow Me. So glad you're here. Wanted to address uh, for just a few minutes uh, where we're not going to be in front of the class, just a couple of items that maybe some observations that I've noticed as a clinical therapist uh, working with families and couples uh, in the church. And... And an observation as we actually begin studying uh, the Book of Mormon. And there, because I see implications, guys, about um, how we read the Book of Mormon, how we interpret the Book of Mormon, and the effect that it can have positively and negatively on our mental health as we try to, to uh, uh, move forward and handle all the stresses of n normal life and service in the church and, and so on. So one of the, the first things that I want to do is I want to address uh, what appears to me, uh, you might listen to this and have a, a difference of opinion, but one of the observations that I have, uh, having been in the church uh, some six decades, is that I'm watching the process of what I see as a shifting narrative of what the church's purpose actually is and what the church is supposed to be doing in the world, not just in the lives of its members, but our purpose and our place in the world around us. I believe that that narrative is shifting uh, for the better, but it's also shifting in that it's different, and it's going to have an effect on us depending on how we continue to see the purpose of the church, and I think that has a, draw, a direct bearing on our on our mental health. So can I, can I approach it this way? Uh, I'm old enough uh, to remember as a uh, green missionary uh, serving in England in, in the late 70s. 
as we went out to uh, to uh, serve in the mission field, we had a very clear view of what our job was as missionaries and as members of the church. And it was simply this. Uh, drawing from, especially from the imagery coming from the Book of Mormon in Jacob 5, that it was very much, well, and, and also in the Doctrine and Covenants, that this was very much the last days. And in the last days, the purpose of the missionaries were to be gathering in the sheaths uh, and, and from the midst of the tares and to bring them in to be safe before the great burning came where all of the, the tares were about to be burned, uh, the sheaves of wheat would be brought in and be saved, uh, and that it was about to happen uh, immediately. So because of that, there was a sense that what our job was as missionaries was to work quickly, gather who would listen, and bring them in. How would we know? How would we know who, the, who Israel was that we were supposed to be gathering versus the non-Israel? Well, there was a companion doctrine that went along with this whole narrative, this whole scenario of the believing blood. And that is that as we knocked on doors in England, as we taught people, we were to teach them, introduce them to the, the Spirit, to the Book of Mormon, quickly inter, uh, uh, challenge them to be baptized if they knew it was true, and then get them into the waters of baptism uh, so that they would then be safely gathered in. If they didn't listen, if they didn't respond then what we knew is that they weren't of the believing blood. They weren't going to listen to the Spirit, and therefore we were to move on. Teach them a couple of lessons. They're not listening. Drop them. Move forward. We didn't have time. This was a time of harvest, not a time of planting. That was our job because we were gathering Israel according to what we read in the Book of Mormon, according to what Joseph Smith was told and recorded in the Doctrine and Covenants, according to what we would hear in General Conference. This was a time of the gathering of Israel. And that meant that we didn't spend a whole lot of time with anybody who wasn't going to be immediately ready uh, to join the church. The Unconsciously, that actually set up a little bit of a, uh, a, almost like an elite status for those that would listen. And, and it was kind of an elite status also for the, those that were getting patriarchal blessings. So once they got baptized, they got into the church and they were of the blood of Ephraim. And that meant that we had found them. They had a job to do now and in the eternities. And it really was a shame that your neighbors who weren't listening to the gospel uh, weren't one of those uh, elite. They were certainly welcome to join, but the fact that they hadn't joined or they didn't respond quickly to the Spirit said that they weren't of that, quote, believing blood of Israel. And so it wasn't so much that we were to worry too much about them. We had too little time and we had to get on as quickly as possible and so we moved forward to, to do our job. Now, what that meant, even for the church, was that even in our church settings, as we got into what I've always laughingly referred to as the obedience 80s, uh, our job during the obedience 80s was to gather people 
uh, in to take care of them and to separate ourselves to a certain extent from the world. The world was not important to us. There was there was uh, the saints and the world. It was become very dichotomous in the way that we looked at it. You were either safely gathered in a saint, or you were out there of the world in the world. And even though we were having to live in the world, we weren't supposed to be of the world. In other words, we really had nothing much to do with the world because they were going down the wrong track. They hadn't been and wouldn't be gathered in. So the narrative at that point for the church was that it was about obedience. It was about getting in the boat, staying in the boat, and not worrying so much about those on the outside that wouldn't get in the boat with us. Uh, and in order to know if you were doing it right, that's when authority became super important. Who holds the keys to be able to uh, get us all of the ordinances uh, to save us? Because it was about salvation and saving ourselves and all our dead. Uh, because we were supposed. Because this was the last days, and the clock was ticking. The downside to that, all of that was, A, we were kind of being trained to not, inter, not engage too much with the world because the world had nothing really much to offer us, that, the knowledge, that basically the church and the gospel had all truth and that outside truth was not that important anyway because, again, the second coming was about to happen. The, the second coming, the Savior might show up at any moment. We were the generation that were supposed to see the coming of Christ. Uh, and then it was going to be our kids and now our grandkids. And we've had this successive row of people waiting now and expecting the gospel to be waiting for the, the imminent return of the Savior any minute. Well, what we, what we missed was the fact that that's what they believed in Kirtland, that's what they believed in Missouri, that's what they believed in Nauvoo, that's what they believed in Utah uh, after the saints got there, that every generation of the church since Kirtland has believed that they would be the generation seeing the coming of Christ, that it was imminent and that we had to quickly gather in, protect the sheaves, don't worry about the tares, and hunker down and wait for this all to happen. <laughs> Oddly enough, this is exactly what Paul was preaching in his early days in the small little house churches all over the Mediterranean, that thy kingdom come, and it was coming right away. And, and so they had to prepare heaven for that immediate return. It was only near the end of Paul's life where he said, ah, maybe it's not going to happen as fast as I thought it would. Uh, and I just am looking forward to seeing Jesus in the clouds when I die, not on the earth in Ephesus or Corinth when he comes here. There's always going to be that transition. So where do we stand now? One of the things that I see, and, and I'll see how many of you uh, kind of agree with me on this, and that is that I'm watching, I believe, a shifting narrative if you will, that if you're watching closely the, the direction that President Nelson is taking the church, there's a shift that is occurring 
uh, and I think it's going to have major ramifications uh, for uh, what we do with our missionaries, how we function missionaries, and 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 how we see the church placed in the world around us. And this shift could actually be boiled down, if you want to be honest. It, I think it's going to be boiled down to we have to save Israel and withdraw from the world. The shift is moving towards it's our job as a church and as Latter-day Saints to heal and bless the world. Rather than withdraw from the world, we are being called upon to engage and connect with the world, believing that we have, as members of the church, uh, principles and and uh, guidelines that would, would that would give us the ability to help, heal, and engage with, and and bring good things to the world's table. That as the world is struggling with all of its its complexity and polarizations, that that we may, as an Eastern scholar recently said, that that Latter Day Saints are uniquely qualified to be the peacemakers at the table. Well, brothers and sisters, this is a, this is a big shift. This is a shift from withdraw to engage. This is a shift from only find the believing blood to bless the world, find them where they are, and meet their needs. Where that's going to really uh, be most evident, I think, is, is ultimately changes that I kind of expect to see happening with uh, our missionary force in the future. We have 70,000 missionaries uh, that are, are out there, that, that are engaging with the world on a daily basis. Up till now, their job has been to find, capture, convert, and bring them inside the church fortress. What if that 70,000 for, person force was out there blessing and serving and doing good in whatever community that they function in? That they're, that they're to do good, that they're to bless the lives of others. Less with a focus on uh, baptisms and conversions and more on a process of serving and loving with a belief that in doing so that that our our purpose of preach the gospel to the world would occur it would just occur that that people would be more likely to approach us when they see our goodness in the world rather than us beating down their doors uh, to try and preach to some to people that aren't ready yet to hear it but they have needs that we could offer to help serve that shift is huge. And it's a shift, again, in the narrative of who the church is and what our job is to be as Latter-day Saints in the latter days to a world that really needs what we have. Now, at the same time, then, what we've got is, um, as, as we start reading the Book of Mormon, this year, uh, we have to we have to remember that the Book of Mormon, uh, the gospel that was preached in the especially in the early stages of 
of the Book of Mormon. The probably, well, early stages, first two-thirds of the Book of Mormon. This was the gospel and the doctrine of Christ, though that it, they were being taught that they were living the law of Moses but had an understanding of Christ. They were still being taught what we would call a preparatory gospel. And that was the law of Moses was preparatory. It was the backup plan when Moses wasn't able to get them into a relationship face-to-face with God. They were given a system of uh, obedience and ordinances and performances that would bring them slowly to Christ by doing things. Uh, And so even things like Passover and uh, dietary laws and and all of that was all to teach them about Christ. But as a, as the Book of Mormon does point out, Alma was very clear about the fact that while the law of Moses brings us to Christ, the law of Moses does not and was never intended to save us in this in the way that we see salvation. That that salvation, the if we mean coming into the presence of God, that was always going to require the direct intervention of Jesus Christ and his atonement to transform us and to change us into people comfortable living in the presence of God. That a system of laws and obedience is a preparatory system that prepares us to get there. So the Book of Mormon in its early stages certainly made perfect sense to a to uh, the early saints bent on having to save the world and having to find Israel and having to abandon those that wouldn't come and so that we could uh, find them, convert them, capture them, and bring them into the church fortress. That The Book of Mormon was the perfect vehicle for that. Now, what we're hearing that's if our job is now to heal the world and interact with the world and bring to them a peace-loving kindness that the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, brings, then the role of the Book of Mormon changes, I I believe. I think it changes. And I think it means that as we do so, as we read the Book of Mormon, we're having to see this is how not much that we believe that it's about heaven or hell, obedience or, or damnation, as much as it is this is what they believe. We are trying to bring healing to a world that believes in an all or nothing, heaven or hell, uh, obedience or damnation, polarization. The Book of Mormon should teach us how they think. But it should not, brothers and sisters, as we, as we move forward and our understanding of the eternities and when the, with the uh, spirit of Elijah helping us uh, work with those on both sides of the veil and bring them gospel knowledge about the incredible, endless, boundless mercy of God then it should be teaching us that this is where they are and how do we bring them to that point where they see God's mercy, not God's justice, where they worry less about making it to heaven and worry more about serving and loving those around us.
I'll, I'm going to be mentioning in class uh, next week um, interesting uh, research from from uh, 250 uh, A.D., the early church before the establishment of uh, uh, the Holy Catholic Church, was that they believed uh, in the theology that was being taught by a group of uh, scholars called the Cappadocian Fathers. The Cappadocian Fathers, uh, there were five of them, taught very basically that uh, God was jealous, and, uh, not that God was jealous, that he craved. God craves relationships. God craves connections with people and with us. And so he created the world, they said, and us to be, to create a, what they called a divine nursery, <laughs> a, a place where we grow and, and develop and grow into peers to be God's peers, those that would uh, be to a certain point uh, on level with him, though he will always be our, our father and our exemplar, um, but also that he wanted to have a relationship with us. Um, and so he was going to raise people that would do that. Well, uh, that's going to be the challenge, I think, is for us to know how to, to do that. And that the Book of Mormon will, will be our guide about what people think that we're talking to. So one last aspect of this, and that is as a, as a clinical therapist, working constantly with people dealing with depression and anxiety and uh, family conflicts and all of those kind of things and trying to find a way to heal that. Uh, sometimes the old, the old narrative that we had of uh, the importance all the overriding importance of authority and keys and who was special and who wasn't and who was obedient and who wasn't uh, very much uh, about justice and fairness and and uh, repentance heavy on repentance all of that has had a really negative effect in people struggling with perfectionism and obsessive compulsiveness uh, in conflict in uh, competition with one another it has a dramatic effect in how we judge one another if it's all about obedience, if it's all about worthiness, if it's all about who goes to heaven and who doesn't go to heaven and how, who's closer to going to heaven and have I missed something about going to heaven and what if I, what if I missed a, a piece or two here and I get to oh, judgment day and I'm gonna get to judgment day and find out that I'm short by uh, a few points. Uh, that whole thing um, is, is a problem. That whole thing is uh, something that messes with those that are already competitive-focused and judging-focused. Uh, and, and unfortunately, if, we are, if we're looking at it from the old narrative and we're looking at the Book of Mormon as this is what we are supposed to do in the, in the first part of that, two-thirds of the Book of Mormon, before the coming of the Savior, we're gonna think we're going to hell because we're because of this is the day to prepare to meet God and it is a day to prepare, but it's not necessarily the day where then it's everlastingly too late, and that God can't have any mercy on us after this life. Um, that's the old way. That's the old narrative of where we were as a church, 
where the people that we're talking to, uh, especially in so much of Christianity, is. And we need to be able to recognize uh, that our job as, as healers of the world, our job is to help them see a Jesus who is far more merciful, far more loving, far more forgiving. Uh, that when people struggle in this life and they get to the next life, I always say, then I'm, I'm very comfortable giving Jesus a thousand years to work with somebody and see if they don't choose after all of that to, uh, to step up and, and to uh, want to follow Christ and want to uh, change and transform uh, from, their, from the nature that they've struggled under. Brother and sister, bear you my testimony as we, as we look at all of this and, and recognize, uh, in, in kind of wrapping this up, that I believe that we are in the midst of a shifting church narrative. And I think as the years go by, you will see a, this shift from save Israel to heal the world, from withdraw from the worldly things to be engaged in the world bless the world and and be an example to the world of kindness of goodness and of the mercy of Jesus Christ in wanting to have as many of his children return home as possible this is a healing salve to our own mental health as we see ourselves as part of a process of loving and serving not self-focused on making it to heaven or not uh, from a depression standpoint anxiety that's the home run that's what we're looking for uh, i pray that we can do that and leave that with you in jesus name amen and thank you for joining us for another monday morning class hope you enjoyed it if you have any suggestions about future topics that we could discuss or if you had any questions concerning something that you heard in the class, please drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. As always, if you happen to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please come in and join us on a Monday morning. We'd love to see you and identify who you are. If the podcast itself is resonating with you, go ahead and click subscribe uh, so that Apple can figure out where we are. We'd love to, to hear from you. So again, thank you for coming. And we'll see you for another Monday morning class.